listening to the Fish on Ted podcast with your host, Ted Johnson. Well, hi, this is Ted Johnson. And before we start today's podcast, I'd like to give a quick shout out to a couple of our supporters. George Shower, who is the Pocono Outdoors guy, has been a friend and advocate of the Fish on Ted podcast and our sister company, Marketing for Guides, for a couple of years now. George broadcasts his own podcast live every Sunday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Facebook Live. He then posts his episode on his YouTube channel, of course, called The Pocono Outdoors Guy. Along with being a podcast host, George is also a well-known outdoor writer and outdoor videographer. To find out more about George's services, go to his website at www.poconooutdoorsguy.com. I'd also like to recognize Short Bus Flashers, who is based in Oregon. JT Gillette started Short Bus Flashers just over 10 years ago, and it has become the premier manufacturer of salmon fishing flashers on the West Coast. If you like catching salmon, you need to visit www.shortbusflashers.com and take a look at all the flashers and the hundreds of shapes and color combinations that are available. Well, hello, this is Ted Johnson with the Fish on Ted podcast. I'd like to welcome everyone to uh, our podcast today. If you look back at your calendar, if you're uh, listening to this a year or two or three or five years down the road, and you go, well, wait a minute, that was recorded like the first part of December of 2020. Weren't the, wasn't there some sort of vaccine coming out for COVID at the time? And, and then a presidential change uh, it looks like it was coming up. And yep, that's about the time. We're uh, still fighting the, uh, sounds like the, the surge of maybe an additional COVID spike from this holiday season that we just got th- uh, through it for Thanksgiving and approaching Christmas and that sort of thing. So wish us luck. If you're listening to this, we probably made it. So anyway, Today, I've got a great guest. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Um, he's a lot of fun to talk to. I think you're going to really, really enjoy some of the dialogue that we're going to have and the stories that we're going to tell. Um, but without stealing a lot of his thunder, Steve Johnson, are you there? Yes, sir, I am. Hey, how are you, Steve? I am wonderful, Ted. Thank you. Well, terrific. Well, Steve is a a guide, and in particular, a walleye guide on the mighty Columbia River in the state of Oregon. And yes, we have walleye um, in the state of Oregon. Um, and Steve, tell us a little about how in the world that you got started in the business and how you got started fishing for walleye. Well, Ted, that goes back a lot of years to 1994 at that time having been raised salmon, steelhead, and sturgeon fish, and I was not even aware that we had walleye out here. Uh And I found that out quite by accident when I volunteered my boat to help out in a salmon fundraiser hosted by a couple of our local guides. Mm -hmm. I actually won a trip in a drawing with a young man or a fellow by the name of Dick O'Brien, who at the time was one of our top walleye guys. Unfortunately, Dick is no longer with us, but I went out with him, caught a couple of fish, and got hooked on walleye fishing. (laughs) And I've been doing it ever since now, 27 years. And the rest is history, huh? 
the rest is history. Over the years, <laughs> I've refined my skills, and I actually fished for walleye for 14 years before I decided I was ready to start taking people out for them. Oh, wow, really? No, no, no kidding. So I, I'm just curious, have you fished for walleye in different parts of the country? I actually fished for walleye in Germany in 1972, and I didn't even know what the darn things were. I was on leave and went with a buddy. That was where he had family. I was drunk most of the trip because I was on leave, liberty, if you will. I was in the Navy at the time in Vietnam. Yeah, He took me to this river, and we went fishing, and we caught these fish, and everybody spoke German. Even my oh, wow. buddy, even though he spoke fluent English, I mean, again, I had been drinking. This is what you do when you're on leave or liberty. Mm, I've been he there, told yeah. me afterwards, yeah, I could even tell you where we were in Germany. Yeah. And I have also fished Lake of the Woods in Canada. Oh, you have? Okay. I, okay, very good. Yep. Very that good. was after I learned about the walleye that we had here. I wanted to go up there and and catch walleye in another another country and i also wanted to fish for pike and muskie oh yeah yeah well, that, that, was a, that was a great trip yeah no kidding no kidding so how in the world did walleye ever get into the columbia river i mean because it is a well-kept secret um that uh, there's quite a walleye population and, and and obviously the you know we we've now gotten a lot of um um, exposure for that and a lot of recognition because the the Columbia has produced some really big walleye over the past few years. But but what got that all started? How did they get into the system? Talking to some of the locals over here where I live now, walleye were introduced by Washington to one of their reservoirs, and somehow, whether it was intentional or accidental, they escaped into the main, main stem Columbia. Uh -huh. This all started sometime in the 50s, and over time, the fish just got in there, started filtering through, and people who were working at the dams on the Columbia, such as the McNary, John Day, the Dells, they were actually seeing these fish coming through the windows, the locks, mm -hmm. and they kept it, I mean, that was a very well-kept secret going into the 70s and even into the 80s. And oh, really? they caught some very, very big walleye back then. Well, today, it's not a secret anymore. Everybody knows yep. that the Columbia River has trophy walleye fishing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it is just, it has evolved from there. And more and more people are getting involved into it. And it's making it a little bit tough for those of us who guide for us. But again, the ones that, you know, people like myself that have spent a lot of time doing it, we're still pretty successful. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, now my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, um, that that at one time they were they were thinking that the the world's record was going to come out of the Columbia. Is that is that still anticipated? Well. Probably, I think, Ted, that the, the world's record walleye has already been netted in a, in a native fishery net. Oh, okay. And with the pressure, with the, with the amount of pressure that is on the river and the fish today, I would say the odds are pretty minimal 
but anything is possible. It was only just a few, four years ago, I think, that a fellow who wasn't even in the tournament at that time caught a 20.3 pound walleye. And that was up in, that was inside Washington at that time. And that's Washington's new record, I believe. Oregon's record today is still 19.3 pounds. Those are big fish. It's a huge fish. No kidding. Those are huge. Yeah. Yeah. Now you bring up an interesting point. The, The Columbia separates the state of Oregon and Washington for a good part of the northern uh, Oregon border and the southern Washington border. Are there different regulations per state on those waters? Yes, Oregon and Washington recognize the reciprocity. Their limit between the two borders are the same as Oregon. So once you get up into Washington, their limits change and they actually have limits where now where the two states are bordered there are no limits and this quite frankly is a crying shame yeah no kidding yeah four years ago they got together oregon forced washington's hand to take the limits off and that has resulted in a lot of overfishing over harvesting Mm -hmm. on these fish but um surprisingly I had thought four years ago when they instituted this, there were a lot of very young fish, three-year-old fish that were between 15 and 17 inches, and there were literally thousands of those taken out of one pool. I thought it was going to impact us negatively. And surprisingly, the numbers have held up. I'm still catching virtually the same amount of fish, quality fish, day in and day out and of course that varies because some days the fish just don't want to play other days they're in the mood to just bite anything and you can still have 30 fish days but typically a day on the water is going to be between 10 and 15 fish and they're going to be quality fish between one and a half and four pounds that's a pretty good day's fishing that's a really good day's fishing why in the world would they not have a a limit on on the fishery well we're going to get into politics now this is a very sore subject with me but i live in a state that seems to have no regard for its fisheries they are blaming the walleye for eating salmon and steelhead smolten yes they do mm-hmm. but every there are bird species there are mammal species there are fish species that all eat salmon and steelhead smolts, but they decided to pick on the walleye. And not only the walleye, but even smallmouth bass, crappie, bluegill, all warm water species now have no limit. Oh, really? No kidding. The stupidity of Oregon. Okay, yeah. And a a lot of my clientele are folks from the Midwest, particularly Minnesota, who have either moved out here and loved the walleye fish, or they'll come out here from the Midwest because it's on their bucket list Mm -hmm. to fish the Columbia for walleye. Mm -hmm. And they are shocked, amazed, stupefied, if you will, that Oregon would do this to a fish that they consider one of the premier game fish. Oh, yeah. Walleye walleye is huge in the Midwest. Oh, yeah. Well, the the, the largest limit... Largest limit I've heard of, of fishery of the fisheries in the 
uh, in the Midwest is five a day. In some states, it's only three days, and their slot limits are pretty small. I mean, on my right. state, I don't quote me, but I thought it was South Dakota, where they had to be like 15 inches somewhere in that neighborhood. Every state is a little bit different. Every body of water in these states are different, and they get out here. And when I first started, we had a five-inch limit, mm-hmm. and it was five over 18, only one of which could be over 24. And then I got word that, well, no, you can have 10 under 18 but only five of those can be over 18, one over 24. Now, I never did get the gist of that. Yeah. But my, when I first started, I was under the impression it was five over 18, one over 24. And it was so easy back then to catch those limits. And they were all quality mm-hmm. fish. And eight, nine, 10 pounders, I would catch at least one of those every day. No kidding. And wow. those were a picture. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those were a picture fish. I told my clients, anything over 26 inches, that's a female. We're going to take a picture and release it. Never had any problems. Mm -hmm. Clients were happy to do that. Right. But, boy, I'll tell you, today, it's hard to get into a big fish. Is that right? And I'm very, yeah, I'm very protective of them. You know, anything over seven pounds, we're going to take a picture and put it back. That's only fair. That is, that is only fair. Yes. Uh, if I don't conserve my own fishery, nobody's going to do it for me. Yeah, good point. Good, good point. Now, now the Columbia is a really long river. What, what part of the Columbia do you fish? I fish between 100 and 160 miles due east of Portland. There are three oh. towns up here, Rufus being the most popular and then Boardman and Aragon. And there's mm-hmm. lots of walleye between those, yeah. those 60 miles. Now, now, for those listeners that are not familiar with the geographics of Oregon, um, that part of our state is fairly arid. I mean, it, it's um, uh, farmland and grassland, but everybody thinks about Oregon as uh, kind of a rainforest with lots of trees. That isn't what this part of Oregon looks like, is it? No, it's all brown. Once mm-hmm. you get east of Hood River, which is 60 miles east of Portland, it gets real brown. gets pretty warm in the summer times. It's dry. Mm-hmm. But we do, we do get our winters over here, though. It's not unusual to get a lot of snow, not a lot of rain, but we get some yep. snow. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a beauty that you have to learn to appreciate. Oh, it's, it's beautiful country. I mean, it's, it's rolling hills. And canyons, I mean, it is absolutely picturesque, but it's different. It is. Yeah. Yes, you're yeah, absolutely I'll, right. I'll be darned. So you you must have grown up then fishing, because um, I know you grew up in Oregon, you said, uh, that you ended up uh, uh, learning to fish with salmon and steelhead and, and the other kind of salmonoid species around the state, right? Affirmative. Yes, I did. Yeah. I started catching salmon, well, let's see, I went with my grandfather, my father, and my uncles on the Willamette in downtown Portland, and they weren't very good at what they did. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't catch, I don't remember ever catching a fish with them. I think it was more just grandpa and his sons, and 
me all getting in the boat and drinking. They were drinking beer, of course, and yeah. and having a good time. But I got hooked on it. It just, mm-hmm. I wanted to do it, so I pursued it pretty much on my own. And it's not that um, Dad and I wouldn't have done it together more, but, you know, trying to raise four boys, Dad worked a lot of ship work, so I learned yeah. on my own. I would hike to the river with my fishing rod, and I would try to emulate what other people were doing. And, you know, after a while, they got to know me and would help me. And I caught my first salmon in Oregon City. Oh, the Willamette from the bank, and and I was hooked on it. And really? one thing led to another. Pretty soon, I started buying a boat, and and anybody that's ever had boats and fishes a lot knows that you get two foot itis, and so <laughs> I would get buy another boat, buy another boat, and one thing would lead to another, and I just got better and better and better. Yeah. At catching fish. Yeah, I'll be done. Now, are you still guiding for? Uh salmon and 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 what what else uh uh, sturgeon and that sort of thing that's in the columbia i don't i do sturgeon only on request and up here where i live our seasons are very short it's a very short retention season and uh not like unlike portland area where there's a little bit more um what's the word i'm looking for liberal if you will Mm-hmm. Um, still, no matter where we are in the state of Oregon, you're only allowed to keep two sturgeon for the year, one a day, two for the year. Right. But I will do it if people request it. Um, salmon, absolutely. Our fall run on the Columbia is incredible. And that usually takes off about the third week of August up here where I'm at and runs through the middle of October. Oh, and these particular good. fish are. Yeah, these particular fish are referred to as upriver brights. They're a beautiful salmon full of oil. There are a lot of these fish are going up into the Hanford Reach, which is well up the Columbia River into Washington. They're Snake mm-hmm. River Wild. Mm-hmm. And they're full of fat. They eat just like a spring Chinook, and they're a hoot to catch. Wow. And they're and they're a big, do, yeah, they're bigger salmon too, right? Yeah, um, you know, it depends. Um Last year and this year, I got a 32-pounder. That's a pretty good-sized salmon these days. That's a great size. Yeah, but the average is between 14 and 18 pounds. But Mm -hmm. there definitely are bigger ones. The one thing that we have to deal with out here is the Native Americans. They do get to gill net, and they get a lot of the bigger fish in the nets. Mm -hmm. And it's fine. You know, we... Without the Native Americans, we would not have the salmon in the Columbia that we do. And for a lot of years, people were bad-mouthing them and complaining until we educated them a little bit better that, hey, they are the ones who are putting the fish in the river. Let's be nice. And since so, then, uh, it's it's been a win-win for everybody. It really has. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes sense. So in, in regards to uh, walleye fishing, are there different times of the year that are better than others? Absolutely. Uh, up here where I'm at, it takes off in about March uh-huh. and for the peak of the fishing through about the end of June. And oh. typically what happens, the water starts warming up. And it's not that the walleye aren't there. They are. But we start getting into the shad runs. The shad 
the European shad come up the Columbia River now by the millions. They mm-hmm. spawn, and you've got billions and billions of these little baby shad coming down, and Wally is gorging on those shad. Oh. And it's very difficult at times to catch them when their bellies are already full. You can still do it, but it's tough. And I usually will tell my clients, look, I'm going to get you in front of fish. You're going to get bit, but the mm-hmm. odds of you hooking them are, is going to be tough because what they're going to do is those walleye are just, they're coming up out of instinct and they're going to nip off the end of the worm. They're not going to get the hooks because they're oh. just full, full of these little baby shad fry. Oh, really? Oh, no kidding. No kidding. Yeah. So, so, when, so Mark, yeah. go ahead. Yeah. So when you're, you're salmon fishing, uh, do, do you accidentally get hooked up on, uh, on walleye or are, are the techniques so different that the two don't mix? My style of fishing, no, I'm not going to hook up with them. If mm-hmm. you, well, I got to think about this. I know that in the Willamette back trolling plugs, a lot of guys were stealing in salmon. Occasionally yeah. somebody would hook a walleye, uh-huh. but normally, normally you need to be fishing walleye tactics in order to catch walleye. Mm-hmm. And, and, my, what, and as far as my calls, go ahead. Uh, no, please go ahead. Is where I fish, my techniques for salmon. No, I'm either trolling spinners well off the bottom, or I'm egg fishing and walleye. I have yet to catch one on a glob of eggs, although anything's possible. Sure. So I won't say no, but I haven't done it yet, and I've never heard of it yet. Yeah. Yeah, walleye sort of stick to the bottom, don't they? River walleye, absolutely. Yeah. That's where the bait fish are, and they want to get down there out of the current. Oh, very so if good. You're not, if you're not dragging your gear on the bottom, you're not going to catch a walleye. Uh-huh. Well, and, and the real prize of walleye fishing is uh, just that, that they're so delicious. Is that right? Yeah, they're incredible eating. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, they're a, they're a white fish, are they not? And you, you fillet them? Is that what you do? Yeah, so I, uh, at the end of the day, I always fillet and bag my fish so people can just take it home, rinse it off, throw it in the frying pan. And uh-huh. the flesh is white, very delicate. And one thing I like about walleye is there's not a lot of odor with it. They don't have a lot of smell. So when you're cooking them, the only thing you're really going to smell is whatever you're putting on them for seasoning. Right. And with them, you don't need a whole heck of a lot because they just they have their own natural flavor that is not overpowering some, like some other fish. Mm-hmm. Well, and with them being so prevalent in the river system, I would imagine that you um, are encouraging people to bring along a, a fairly decent-sized cooler if they have a group, big group, because they're going to they're going to walk home with some fish, aren't they? Well, that's definitely the plan. I do have mm-hmm. an eight fish per limit per per angler. That's more uh-huh. than enough. And again, that's my way of conserving my fishery plus. You know, the bodies of water that I fish, they're, they're small pockets, and they're only going to hold so many fish every day. And if I fish out one particular pocket, 
Well, mm-hmm. then my next day's group has nothing to fish on. That's true. And even though the Columbia is a very, very big body of water, these fish are only in certain areas. And you need to know that. You need to know what you can and can't get away with so that you have fish the next day, the next day, and the next day. Mm-hmm. So I'm real careful about that. And my clients respect that. They understand. Oh, oh absolutely. A- absolutely. So, so how many years have you been guiding, Steve? I'm starting my 14th year, I believe. This year will be my 14th. Oh, wow. So you started in mid-2000s, if my calculation. I started in, I started it in 2008. I guess you did. What, 13 years. Yeah, oh, okay. 2008. Okay. I'll be done. What did you do before that? I was a carpenter for 30 well, you years. Were. Ah, okay. Yep. Okay, well, and, and that was just about the time that the construction industry took a, a hit, wasn't it? We took a big hit in 83, 84. I actually, we had, I was a union carpenter. We took a huge, huge pay cut, and mm-hmm. a lot of the rank and file bailed out and went to Alaska to work. I stayed home right, trying to work. I actually ended up working for an ambulance company as a paramedic for two years. No kidding. And I hated, I hated that. Yeah. Absolutely hated it. And as soon as the work picked back up in the union, I went right back to the union, mm-hmm. got my years in, retired at a very young age. I was 54, almost 55, and I retired in 07. Yeah. Knew I was going to have to keep working. And the only thing that I do well is catch fish and build buildings. Oh, very good. So, I started guiding, and I've enjoyed yeah. it. Oh, that's cool. That that's cool. So, so I've got a question for you. I, I ask it uh, pretty much of every guest. And if you woke up tomorrow morning, and some little bird told you, "Hey, Steve, this is your last fishing trip," what would you fish for, and who would you go fishing with? Ooh. I'd get all three of my brothers yeah. and my youngest daughter in the boat. And I'd have to flip a coin between walleye and salmon. Uh-huh. That's a tough one for me. Everybody yeah. likes big fish and salmon are bigger than walleye. Right, right. Yeah, that would, that would be a tough one. I think I'd probably leave that up to my family. What do you guys want to fish for? There you go. But I would definitely, I would definitely have my three brothers and my daughter in the boat. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would imagine out of the group of you, you probably caught the most fish, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not yeah. to brag, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and with with that said, it would make sense to leave it up to them, right? Because you, you know, you're you're in it for the memories at that point. Yep, I would just be the net man. I would just get them on the fish, and I'll just I'll bait your hooks, and you hook the fish, and I'll I'll land it for you. Yep, yeah. Well, if you had to do it all over again, would you have started guiding earlier? Uh no, no, uh-huh. I would not because I needed and wanted and worked a lot of years to earn my pension from the union. So oh I would yeah, definitely not change any of that, and. 
I'm the type of person who believes that if something is supposed to happen, it will in its own time. Mm-hmm. I firmly believe that. And, you know, I did not w- initially want to be a guide. I know so many of them and I've watched them. Yeah. And they were tired. They were bitchy and cranky, if you will. But that's because that was their only source of income. For me, having the pension, having that retirement, I'm able to relax, fish when I want to fish. And when I do get in the boat with clients, I've got a smile on my face. There you go. And I truly enjoy that. And I would not change. I don't ever want to take people out when I'm not in a good mood. I want to always be there ready to show them the best time I possibly can. That That's right. You know, and I've never understood that because as a guide, all you do is fish, right? You're a lucky guy. I'm big bird. <laughs> okay. That's one way of looking at it. I guess everybody thinks that a guide's job is really glamorous and whatnot. Let me tell you something. Three o'clock in the morning comes really fast. Yeah. Yes, it does. You got to, it's tough. And you never know what you're going to have for caliber of people every day. And I've been very fortunate. I've had some very wonderful people in the boat that are welcome back mm-hmm. anytime. But I have a few in, few in my books over the years that have asterisks next to their names that, you know, I can probably do without you today. You're busy that day. Whatever day that is you want to fish, I'm busy. <laughs> Pretty much. You know, yeah. and I don't make a, an item of that. It's just life's too short to not be having any fun. And if you're not having That's fun true. in my boat, why are you here? Yep. So, yeah. And I, and, 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 I, and I go out of my way. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and, and, and a lot of people don't understand that, you know, when you say that you get up at three in the morning, that may be sleeping in some at some point in the season because you're having to get the well, boat ready and the bait and cleaned up. And then you're supposed to hit the dock at six o'clock on a smile on your face. And then when your day is over and you're flaying those fish, you go home and you've got to probably talk to another five or six people that have called you and you've got to be on your game talking about fishing and how much fun it is after you've already spent like 14 hours, you know, fishing the last group and getting the boats ready. Affirmative. Yes, that's true. Um, Quite often I'll have the phone in my shirt pocket on speaker talking to the next day's client or a potential client while I'm cleaning the boat and getting it ready for the next day. Mm -hmm. They're long days. They're tiring yeah. days. Yeah, they are. And some days are easier than others. And other days, you know, you're just grinding, grinding, grinding. It takes a toll on us. It's not the glamorous job that people think it is. They think, well, God, you're making all this big money. Well, yes, I do get a pretty good paycheck every day, but I'm not doing that 365 days a year. That's right. And it's, you know, it's you're not going to get rich being a guide, but you can make a comfortable living. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just curious. You have a day off. What do you do for fun? I play golf. Oh, there you go. I play golf or I have a very, very big backyard. I'll just get one of my guns out and go down to the shooting range and shoot steel. Just anything to relax, wind down. Mm-hmm. take my mind off of the boat and fishing, but I yep. do truly enjoy playing a lot of golf. Ah, good for you, man. Good for you. That, uh, 
Um, and, and you've got some really nice golf courses around you also. Yeah. Um, over here where I live, we have to travel. I mean, we do have one within about 15 minutes of where I live. It's a small course. It's a very challenging course. A lot of obstacles, a lot of water. It's a very unforgiving course. If you make a mistake, you're going to have to take, you're going to lose your ball. Mm-hmm. But it's a fun little course, but all the others are anywhere from 40 to, oh gosh, some of them are two hours away. But, you know, over here where I live, it's all ranch land, farmland. Yep. We all understand that we're going to travel no matter wherever we want to go, and we just accept it and enjoy the heck out of life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, good for you, man. I'm just curious, do you fish... Uh, many corporate trips for people? I'm starting to get a few more, um, but they've been few and far between. Again, walleye mm-hmm. is still a fish that a lot of people don't know we have. And yeah. most people living in Oregon and Washington, they understand about salmon and steelhead and sturgeon. And that's mm-hmm. where you know a lot of these corporate trips tend to go but they are i am starting to realize a few more now and i Mm -hmm. i truly relish those yeah typically they're really good people and and whoever the corporation is that's buying the trip the customers are the clients are very appreciative of that vendor and appreciate appreciative of everything that i do for them yeah well, I would imagine uh, with all of your time in the building trades that when you get a tradesman uh, group that comes up, uh, that must be a lot of fun. Just, uh, you know, you're you're part of that conversation going on in the boat. You know, it's interesting. I don't get a lot from the trades. I'm actually really? getting more from the golf industry, the fertilizer industry. mostly golf and fertilizer industry. Isn't that interesting? I haven't really thought about it until now. That is interesting. Yeah, I do get quite a few groups of veterans, though, old friends Mm -hmm. that served a lot of Vietnam veterans. Boy, we can certainly relate to one another when that happens. And and let's face it, we're all getting older and older and older, and um, they're a lot of fun to have in the boat. Uh, a lot of great stories, lots of memories, mostly good, some bad, but uh, we can mm-hmm. all just share the day and commiserate with one another. And and those are those are great trips. So I actually volunteer for a disabled veterans group called Forward Assist. We are strictly nonprofit, mm-hmm. and I host the trip every year for disabled vets. Oh, and we will buy out buy out the local motel put up a dozen disabled vets. We feed them, water them, fish them, and just have a great time with these kids. And I'll tell you, it's um, it's a tearjerker, even though I'm a veteran myself, watching some of these kids walking down to the boat on steel legs with steel arms and whatnot, and seeing the smiles on their faces. It really uh-huh. tugs at your heart. <clears throat> oh, absolutely it does. And and again, that's forward assist, right? Is the... the forward? Uh, Yes, sir. Forward Assist. And my understanding is that organization is kind of for the, the rehabilitation of it, of, uh, of, of wounded veterans. Is that right? Getting them acclimated back into 
the, the society? Not so much that, although I suppose that's a small part of it. What we do is we will host different fish outs. Um, we have um, hunting trips. Oh. And then we will also just put great big groups of families together and we'll do like a picnic get together type of thing. And it's, it's really rewarding to, to watch the best because if you're not a veteran yourself, these people are not going to talk to you right. because you can't relate. Right. And typically when I do the walleye, um, when I host my walleye trip, it's over here near where I live. And after Saturday night, we've had our big fish feed with all the fish that the guys have caught. We will go back to the motel and there's some space outside. And we're doing this in June when it's nice and warm. So you can be outside at night and the mm-hmm. veterans are all sitting around having their toddy or whatever it is they want to drink. And they'll start talking and out of respect, even though I'm a vet and they will talk to me because I have not been to the middle East like they have, they're much younger than I am. I typically will just kind of slide my chair out of the way and just listen to them mm-hmm. talk and it's not only healing for them, but it's also healing for me because let's be honest, if you know your, your history of Vietnam, those of us who served over there, we were pretty much crapped on. We were disrespected. Yeah, you were. And mm-hmm. so just listening to those kids kind of helps me to heal from what I experienced in Vietnam and then what I experienced when I came home when I was discharged mm-hmm. out. So it's it's a win-win yeah. for everybody who's involved. I'll bet you look forward to that every year. I do. I was very disappointed that we didn't get to do it this summer with the COVID because we had a big group planned and it was just going to be a lot of fun. And But we're definitely going to put it on next year, come hell or high water, COVID or no COVID, that, fish, that, that fishing trip is going to happen. Well, good. Let's talk about COVID real quick. You are uh, running trips into 2021 and you ran trips over this last year um, because fishing is uh, um, not considered what, a, what a, an, an inside uh, activity or something, right? So, I mean, it, uh, that didn't hurt you in, in, in many ways, did it? Well, it actually did because initially Governor Brown pretty much put the Krampus on every activity and then there were strict guidelines that were supposed to be met and how do you do that in a boat okay you can have family members or you can only have two from this family two from that family you know it just went on and on and on Mm -hmm. and I had a pretty good clientele built up on the books all of them called me saying Steve we can't come. I can't come. So the spring, I suffered. But as time went on, people started getting very frustrated with Governor Brown, even though she loosened up some things. I did get to fish this fall, but I actually lost a lot of money this spring that I'll never realize back. But the fall for salmon was very good. So I was able to make a little bit of money this year. And thankfully I do have my pension. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get through. I, I was, I, I was able to get through and, and not suffer too badly. Oh, good. 
How does your calendar look for 2021? I haven't started booking yet, but I'm getting phone calls. I'll be getting my new book here pretty soon, making some phone calls. I'm very um, excited about the future. I'm looking forward to the new website that I'm having built, and I think 2021 is going to be a great year for me. I agree. I agree. Yeah, the, uh, the it, it's very interesting that, and you explained it very well, that the fishing industry was adversely hit overall in the spring, some worse than others. But as things started becoming this new norm, whatever that means, uh, throughout the <laughs> summer, throughout the fall, uh, there's just been a lot of people in the industry, you know, that have had their, their best years ever. I mean, I was talking to a gentleman from New York the other day, and uh, he's a guide there. And he was saying that uh, the that boat sales are up, fishing boat sales are up in New York by 500%. Can you imagine? Um, it doesn't surprise me a bit. Um, I actually have just ordered a new boat, and I was talking to the salesman. Their sales have increased yearly for the past five years. Yeah. Nothing is slowing down. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I was on the phone the other day. Well, it's been a couple of months ago now with uh, a manufacturer of drift boats and, and fishing boats, Pavati, uh, down in Medford. And when I was talking to the guy, he goes, you know, I only got one boat on my uh, floor here that I can sell. Really? No kidding. You know? So it, uh, there's, yeah, there's a, the boat. yeah, the, go ahead. Oh, there's a resurgence of the interest in fishing. Yes, there is. And we're, Oregon is seeing a huge increase in people moving in here. They all want to fish. They all want their own boats. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, for me, it's, I wonder what they're thinking because let's be honest, Oregon is suffering Fish-wise, we don't do a good job of protecting our salmon and steelhead and sturgeon fisheries. Those three populations have suffered miserably, but still people are confident or upbeat, thinking that they can still go out and catch these fish, and it's tough. But yeah. my, my thoughts on that are if you can afford to do it, by all means, buy a boat, get on the water, mm -hmm. it's healing. Mm -hmm. get, yeah, away it from the, get away from the work. Yep. Yep. Well, and, and you know, the, conversely, you might be able to afford it, but, you know, the time it takes to take care of your own boat and deal with all the things that go along with it, it, it gives a lot of credence for people that enjoy that sort of thing. To, to hire somebody like you and take them fishing and they can learn new techniques. And then at the end of the day, the boat's your problem, not theirs. <laughs> exactly. You know, and it's interesting that you bring yeah. that up because I do get a lot of new boat owners that want to learn how to catch walleye and I'm happy to take them out. I will work my butt off for them. Uh -huh. I'll show you everything that I'm doing and then it's on up to mm -hmm. you to learn. But I also have a fair amount of clients who have had boats in the post in the past who has sold them and said, Steve, it is so much easier for me to just get in your boat at the end of the day, go yep. home with my catch, throw it in the refrigerator and sit down on my chair. There's a lot to mm -hmm. be said for that. 
Yeah, there is. Oh. Yes, the, yes, there is. And, uh, you know, it, uh, it, and, and it's always nice to have someone uh, that, that has knowledge of the fishery, you know, in the boat that uh, has been on the water for the last, you know, 30 or 60 days prior to you getting there, because they're going to have some inside knowledge of exactly what's going on, where if you're only getting yourself out every 60, 90 days, you're trying to figure that out. And if you only got one day to figure it out, a lot of times you don't, and that causes a lot of frustration. Well, it does, and I see that all the time at the boat ramps because I refer to people who are not guides as sports. They okay. don't have my experience. They don't have my knowledge. Yep. And a lot of them are either cannot afford or don't feel like they need to go out and fish with a guide. Yeah, they went to a seminar and they listened to the guide and he talked about this and he talked about that. And you should use this and you should use that. But if you don't understand the fishery, if you don't understand the fish, the waters, how to fish them, it's very frustrating for them. And I hear a lot of them lamenting, you know, when they're taking out or a lot of times, you know, there's sometimes I just can't avoid cleaning my fish where people are going to see me and I get a lot of questions. Where'd you get right. those? What were you using? And one, I, I don't have the time to try to explain to them. And even if I did, they wouldn't understand because they are not in my boat putting, mm -hmm. applying everything that I'm doing personally. Right. And that's huge. And I will teach you. Mm -hmm. You get in my boat. I don't care if you own your own boat. I'm going to get you fish. Mm -hmm. You're going to have the confidence when I'm at, done at the end of the day to know that you can catch fish. Right. And then it's just up to you to apply that. Right. Right. But you know, it, yeah, it, I'm it, not this... like a lot of guys that I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm, there's a lot of guides out there that are very closed mouth. They're not going to talk to you. And I get it. But at the same token, what are they afraid of? These people aren't mm -hmm. going to be out there every day like you and I are. Yep. Teach them. Yep. Ex exactly. Way, I mean, a lot of my business, Ted, comes from referrals. Hey, mm -hmm. I went out and fished with Steve Johnson today. We caught a bunch of fish. He was fun. You need to go fishing with Steve. Yep. I get a lot of return business, a lot of referral business because I will teach you. Yeah. I will work my butt off for you. Well, and, and, you know, it gets back to the conversation we were having about your last trip, you know, and, and going out fishing with your brothers and your youngest daughter and the memories that that would then, you know, create for you. And if you're, if that's what you're getting a boat for is creating those memories and that sort of thing, be very honest. I'd rather have another person at, 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 the, at, at the stern and let me go back in the back with, you know, my friends and we'll just have a great old time and we'll build those memories. Um, you know, that's, that's what your job is as the guide is to provide them that opportunity, you know, to, uh, you know, to just have a great day on the water. And I, I can guarantee you that, you know, on, on, on some of these folks deathbed, they may have been the best business people in the world, but they're not thinking about anything that they did in the business world. They're thinking about that trip that they took with Steve Johnson and their two grandkids or whatever that is. Right. And remember that day on the water. 
And that's such an honorable thing that you as a professional guide can give people that they just don't seem to find anywhere else anymore. You know, I agree with that a hundred percent. And it's interesting that you brought that up. I have on several different occasions fished elderly people who wanted to go fishing one more time and passed shortly afterwards. Uh-huh. And I've had their family members really? contact me one way or another, say, Steve, he or she went with a smile on their face. All they could talk about was that last fish they caught with you. It's humbling. Mm-hmm. It really is. Yeah, it is. Humbling. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I've Fishing shared this story. A couple of yeah, yes, it is. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it, and it and makes you reflect on life, you know, and, and uh, I was in southeast Alaska. This has been a lot of years ago now. And uh, I had a, a, a friend up there who had a lodge and, and I'd go up and I'd spend some time and he pulled me aside one time and he goes, you know, hey, Ted, we've got this guest and I had met the guest and he goes, uh, he would like to go fish uh, one of the cricks that you fish. They were more of a saltwater lodge, but I knew of some of the, the, the little tributaries that came off of, uh, of, of the island um, and said, would you take this guy fishing, up, you know, and walk up one of the cricks with him? And it was my brother-in-law and I that um, were offered that opportunity. And um, so anyway, we took this guy up and he at the time was maybe in his early 60s, something like that. And we got up to this hole where we caught a bunch of silvers and he just wanted to sit down for a while. So I thought, well, I'll go sit with him and just see, you know, uh, just get to know the guy a little bit. And he ended up it was like six weeks before the trip, finding out he had terminal cancer and he had this big business that he owned and that sort of thing. And he told his family, he goes, I was, I was working to support you and to also fulfill a dream of going and fishing in different places. And he goes, you're going to be left, you know, very, very well in life. Um, He goes, but I'd like to take the next few weeks and go fishing. And so he came up to Alaska all on his own and uh you know uh, uh, we had a great day on the river with him you know when because he wanted to, to fish some uh, fresh water also caught a lot of salmon that day but he just had the biggest grin on his face you know and uh, then my buddy called me and uh, we talked about three weeks after i got home and he said you know the guy died uh, shortly after he left the lodge which was the same time you did and uh, he didn't have any regrets in the world you know that's what he wanted to do. That's wonderful. Wonderful to yeah. see that. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's um, this life is too short, man, and and you gotta enjoy the enjoy the journey. That is so true. I wish a lot of people would slow down and figuratively smell the roses for crying out. Take a little time <laughs> and and enjoy life. I and mean, you just don't see that much anymore. Everybody's in a hurry. They're rude. They're arrogant. And yeah. God, they're not enjoying life. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, well, Steve, I want to thank you so much for uh, giving us your time and attention today. It's been a real pleasure uh, digging deep with you, if you may, on some of these subjects and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. How do people get a hold of you if they'd like to book a trip? Well, they can... Google up walleye fishing the Columbia for my website. They can contact me 
um, email at sjjohnson55 at comcast.net or call me directly at 503-806-5576. And based on our conversation, uh, right at, um, at, at the end of first quarter of 2021, meaning the month of March, that's when the walleye fishing starts getting hot, doesn't it? Yes, sir, it does. Now, you can catch the bigger fish in February, but it's cold. Mm -hmm. You got to be mm -hmm. tough to do that. <laughs> and I do get some nice big fish in March as well. And again, that is also a chilly month. It starts warming up, getting a little more comfortable for people in April. And then May is very comfortable. June can get a little uncomfortable with the heat, but the fishing is good in April, May, June. But if you're looking for a big fish, probably want to contact me in March and I'll see what I can do for you. Very good. And then of course you fish the uh, fall Chinook run that comes by you uh, in what you said, August through October or something like that. Yeah. Latter part of August into the middle of October. It's very, very good fishing. These fish are not very long out of the ocean. They're mint bright like a brand new nickel and they eat like a million dollars. <laughs> and and you're not that far from the Portland metropolis area. Uh, what is it? Maybe a two and a half, three hour drive, something like that? Oh, from Portland up to where I walleye fish. Typically, it's an hour and 40 minutes east of Portland. But I do fish farther east, but that typically is people coming from that side of Oregon, Washington, or even Idaho. Mm -hmm. Most of the folks coming up from Portland, Salem, uh, down from Washington, I fish them a little bit closer, about, like I say, about an hour and 40 minutes east of Portland. And that's an easy drive. For yeah, I was going to say, that's, a, that's a day trip, man. I mean, you wake up early. You jump in the car and with a cup of coffee and come fish with you, and then you're back home in your own bed that night. Yep, they're actually typically home in time for dinner. Yeah, every day. Perfect, perfect. What and uh, for salmon? Yeah, you know, for salmon, it's all pretty much the same area, or even 40 minutes closer to Portland for salmon. Mm -hmm. So it's it's an easy day trip back home in time for supper. And you get to see a part of Oregon that if you're not from the area and haven't traveled through that, that like you and I were talking about, it's just beautiful. Uh, just absolutely, it's, it's a it's a different uh, scenery altogether, but it is it is very pretty. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, I get new clients in the boat, and I'm in the right particular area, especially for walleye. I'm almost always in the right area. I can take you. I usually stop about mid-trip. We'll, we'll go beach the boat on the bank. Everybody can get out, walk around. We'll have lunch. But either before I do that or right after I do that, I'll take you around the end of this island. And you'll be able to take pictures and put your hands on 10,000-year-old native pictoglyphs. Oh, wow, hand really? paintings. <laughs> yep. And I always take all my new clients around and show them that. And they truly enjoy that. I'll bet so. I'll bet so. Well, Steve, again, thank you so much, man. I, um, uh, you know, just you're, you're in our thoughts and prayers when it comes to this COVID thing. Hope you guys stay well and safe. And we're all looking forward to a new 2021 season. Ted, it's been a genuine pleasure. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Steve.